You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, which came out in 1984. It was directed by Jonathan Demme. It stars David Byrne, Tina Weymouth, Jerry Harrison, Chris Franz, Bernie Worrell, Stephen Scales, Edna Holt, Lynn Mabry, and Alex Weir. The genre would be concert movie. The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, a film that's being called the most inspired concert movie ever made. MTV presents the American release of the first full-length movie from The Talking Heads. Watch MTV for the theater listing in your city. The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. We think it's about time that movies stop making sense. I would like to personally thank both the Talking Heads and the folks at A24 for an utterly joyous theatrical experience, one of the best that I have had in quite some time. Having previously seen this 1984 concert movie on video, DVD, Blu-ray, and even listening to it countless times on the CD were all great, no doubt, but none of these platforms could approach the sheer sensory delight of watching this on the big screen for the first time. Well, of course, imagine if I could have seen them live in concert back in the day. Undoubtedly, this is a challenging one to critique, or even really pick apart as a standalone film, given my enduring love for this band, its music, and of course this particular assortment of songs of theirs, which were performed in front of a lively audience shot over three nights at the Pantages Theater in L.A. during their 1983 tour. It's virtually impossible for me to be objective about the Talking Heads at this point, as my relationship with this band's music goes back about 40 years. No, I was not so hip that I was grooving to remain in light on record album back in 1980. For one thing, I was five at the time. No, my personal introduction to this band was a typical one for a child of the 1980s. Burning Down the House, playing on MTV, and featured prominently in an early scene in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> I think that song remains their biggest charting commercial hit. And one thing I can distinctly remember about that song in particular was going on vacation to some kind of horse ranch with my parents in the mid-80s, them taking me to a country-themed concert dinner one night, and in the lead-up to Before the Band Would Come Out, they were just playing radio hits on stage. And when that song came on in particular, suddenly there were a couple of teenagers on the dance floor breakdancing to it to Burning Down the House. I remember being kind of aghast thinking that this song was not meant for breakdancing. It just didn't have that type of rhythm. But I was wrong, of course. Who got a match?
And needless to say, I cannot be bothered to be objective about this. Otherwise, why would I go see a 40-year-old movie in IMAX on a Monday night in a theater filled mostly with a bunch of other middle-aged wannabe hipsters? And to my delightful surprise, there were aspects of this seminal concert film which really came to light in this particular format. You not only get a better sense of the personalities on stage, but more insight into their interactions. For one thing, we get to know the late, great Bernie Worrell better. This founding member of the Parliament Funkadelic Collective became the organist for this expanded version of the Talking Heads for this tour. We not only hear crisper audio of his impressive keyboard notes for standout songs like the mid-tempo classic, This Must Be The Place, but thanks to stellar onstage camera work led by DP Jordan Cronenworth, who had worked on Blade Runner just a couple of years prior, if that's how good he was, there are no shortage of close-ups of Worrell's face as he's seemingly having an out-of-body experience at points. <laughs> There's also more to be appreciated for just how much ground is covered on stage by legendary percussionist Steve Scales, who is not only killing the bongos during the crescendo of Slippery People early on, but also takes on the role of often rallying the troops or even being a hype man as he tirelessly works his way around the front of the stage, but even into the crowd during the latter half of the show. <laughs> So many highlights on the stage, from Tina Weymouth's gentle swaying as she sublimely plays bass to lively coordinated dancing from backup singers Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt. Literally everyone in view is bringing just such infectious joy to everything that they do. Not least of all is this band's fearless leader, David Byrne, who is not only delivering understated vocals and pure banshee cries at points with equal abandon, but is just leaving a unique physical impression on stage, which might have been best described at the time of release by the late great Roger Ebert as a combination of Jane Fonda and Mick Jagger. Yeah, that sounds good. Byrne is just a true showman, even when he's not grooving in that now famous oversized suit to Girlfriend is Better, or dancing with a light stand, or coordinating a clever hoedown dance routine alongside Lynn and Edna. He is just seemingly letting the music consume him. And re-watching this concert movie, I personally found it difficult for myself to not feel the same way. After we finished the tour, and this uh, Japanese, this designer there said, well, David, in the theater... Everything is bigger than real life. He's referring to like gestures and you, you sing louder and all that. And I'm thinking, oh, 
My suit should be bigger, too. It was really big tonight. And that brings me to the categories. The first category is the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. And in the case of this movie, it's kind of redundant to even have this category. But I'll pick one that I think just gave me the most audio delight. And from their very first album on, which is Talking Heads 77, their unique sound always transcended genre. You see this, or actually to be more accurate, you hear this with the very savvy intro song chosen to kick off this concert. I'm of course referring to Psycho Killer from that very album. Hi. I got a tape I want to play. We just see lead singer David Byrne come out alone on a bare stage with just a guitar and a boombox. And he just starts playing a semi-acoustic version of that song with a beatbox rhythm accompanying it. Now it sounds funkier than the album version, and it's surprisingly more danceable. It's both a lively and low-key way to kick off the show, which just gradually ramps up from that point on. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I can subjectively declare that no talent was wasted in the production of this movie. Enough said. And now the trailer moment. This is the senior moment that best describes this movie. Now, many might disagree, but from my standpoint, the high point of Stop Making Sense occurs roughly halfway through the show. And surprisingly, it does not involve any props or crazy onstage theatrics from David Byrne. No, a lot of people would go right to the big suit. And I love that moment, I love that sequence, but that's not it. I'm referring to the performance of Once in a Lifetime. You may ask yourself, what is that beautiful house? You may ask yourself, where does that highway lead to? You may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? You may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Silent water, once in a lifetime, 
roughly around the 420 point of that song, meaning towards the end of that song. As we hear the organ chords of lead keyboardist Jerry Harrison and Bernie Worrell just reach an absolute crescendo, we see Byrne, clad in his beige suit and glasses, just bend his upper body backwards with his arms spread as if he's performing gospel music before snapping his body back forward. It's at this point where the show almost resembles a religious experience. And judging from comments from Byrne himself at the live broadcast Q&A following the screening, that might have been the band's intention. It's just a glorious, even dare I say, spiritual moment. Same as it ever was. 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 The final category would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Of course, two creative forces behind this concert documentary, which cannot go unmentioned, include the editor Lisa Day, who just did exemplary work piecing together indelible images and sounds from four different shows into the rare concert film, which actually seems to spin into an actual progressing story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Undoubtedly, many of those fun onstage interactions would just not be fleshed out as well as they are without her adept cutting together of the footage. Among my personal favorites are the glancing interactions between Byrne and Steve Scales towards the end of the show as their live rendition of Take Me to the River continues to build and build. Byrne is kind of just starting to cut loose with the oversized big pants remaining on while he took off the jacket, while Scales goes in and out of the crowd to get them more pumped, even playing some cowbell at one point. just before Byrne introduces the rest of the band. The other remaining creative force is the late, great Jonathan Demme, who directed this film. There's always confidence behind what we're seeing on screen, in addition to rhythm and boundless energy. Demi was already an accomplished director before taking this on, mostly B-level genre stuff like Caged Heat or the classic Melvin and Howard. However, the breakout success of this movie would help kick off a memorable run of quirky mainstream fare to close out the 1980s, including the romantic comedy thriller, sort of, Something Wild. I keep mentioning that movie. I got to review it one of these days. Previous episode, Married to the Mob. The spoken word documentary Swimming to Cambodia with Spalding Gray. And this would, of course, culminate with Jonathan Demme winning the Best Director Oscar and Best Picture for Silence of the Lambs in 1992. Now, choosing the overall MVP for this astounding piece of musical cinema is kind of a daunting task, as it was a full-on collaborative effort. So I'll just narrow it down to three. Your co-MVPs are director Jonathan Demme, editor Lisa Day, and of course, band frontman David Byrne. When I saw what Jonathan was doing, working with Lisa Day, the editor, I realized that he was looking at it as an ensemble film. Like you, had, like you would have a bunch of actors in a location and they all... And you get to know each character one by one. And you kind of, he tells, lets you get to know them, lets you get familiar with them. 
And then you watch how they all interact with one another. And I thought, I'm in my own world, but he saw that. He saw what was going on there. And I think that that, because he did that, one of the reasons of the sort of lasting power of the film is you see that we are having so much fun on stage. And the audience just... Can I... My rating for Talking Heads Stop Making Sense would, of course, be five stars out of five. If you have the chance to see this sterling performance by one of the great American rock bands on the big screen, do not hesitate. And no worries, set lists are already readily available in advance. And of course, if you're looking to watch Stop Making Sense, A24 is releasing Stop Making Sense in a limited IMAX run. If you could check it out on IMAX, by all means do. And no worries, even if you miss it on the big screen, I believe there are plans to re-release this concert movie now remastered on physical media and digital before the end of the year. And that ends another Same As It Ever Was review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Us.